when we have that experience of an emotion tied with our values, this is like the basis of change. Emotions have a neurochemical basis and emotions help repattern our thinking and our processes. Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and Czech movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. Hello, hello. My name is Renee and I'm co-hosting along with my sister, Lauren. Hello. Hi, what excitement. Rah, rah. <laughs> Yay! This is cheerleader Renee. <laughs> yeah, because I'm so excited for this episode I that know, we already recorded. Too. I'm just going to say it. I think that our guest today is one of my favorite guests of the year. I really I loved having him on. Enter that vote as well. Yes, definitely. Before we tell you who it is, pop quiz of the day, Lauren. What do you think is, in your opinion, the biggest nutrition myth today? Maybe you hear it from clients, social media, something that people think, oh, yeah, this is healthy. And you would say, hands down, incorrect, fake news. Fake news. <laughs> Where's Blake? Where's Blake Eastman? I would say this is not a hands down across the board, but I just feel like there's a lot of myth, myths around intermittent fasting that people are not talking about. It's just really, really blown up as this amazing tool to drop in to be healthier. And I think it is great if it's done well, but there's so many nuances and we are so bio-individual and I see more of the challenges that come with it rather than the benefits. Just in my own practitioner experience, I'm seeing it go poorly and incorrectly more often than it's going well. Interesting. All right. You have to tell me more off air about this, but well, I'll just give you a few examples. Some of the things that okay. go wrong, um, there is less intention behind the timing and the type of food that people are eating because they're like, oh, intermittent fasting, I can just push back my first meal till one whenever, when that's not always great. Like the body loves consistency. And often we're pushing back our meals so much that then the bulk of our nutrition, nutrients and food and calories is happening so much later in the day. And so I see a lot of poor sleep because of that. I see a lot of cravings. I see a lot of energy dips and drops. And I don't, I just don't think it's always like the positive framework that people are kind of presenting it to be. Hmm. Okay. Great answer. Yeah. What I can think? see like, I'm not quite sure, but I will say it is, it's interesting to see like with the fasting trend, how many people just immediately thought I'll just skip breakfast and like a lot of people never considered skipping dinner. Yeah. Well, it's a tough one because usually that's family time and that should not be sacrificed because that's yeah communing and that's for sure more gratitude. But yeah, I would agree with that. Why don't we consider that more? Yeah. 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 All right. That's good. I don't know that I have an answer for this. Um, you have to. It was your question. I know. <laughs> Renee, what do you think is... I didn't really think about this before. Um, I know we've talked about this a lot. I would maybe even say still oat milk Oof. being out there. I'm still seeing it. Like every time I go to the grocery store, I always like 
look at the milk section. And every time I go, there's one less cashew, coconut, macadamia nut milk, and there's one more oat milk brand. Yeah, just it's like taking over. Taking over. Now it's like 90% oat milk. I'm like, we're going the wrong direction. Yeah, the zombie oat milks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even, oh, True Food Kitchen, which I know they're not perfect, but they're a healthier option if you want to go out to eat. I was there a couple of weeks ago and I got a latte and I said, what kind of milk do you make that with? And they said, oh, it automatically comes with oat milk. And I was like, oh, God, no. Oh, I mean, no, I'm sorry. What else do you have? <laughs> I like scared the server. I was like, I, I wasn't expecting that to come out of your mouth. Okay. Um, yep, that's real. What else do you have? What else do you have? Yeah. Oh, God, no. Oh, God. I'm like, that's your automatic here? Disappointing. Yeah. That's okay. We'll, we'll keep shifting that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess PSA behind yeah. that, if that is a new concept to you, test your blood sugar and, and drink some oat milk. You'll see why. Yes. No bueno. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. All right, friends. We have a guest coming on. We have Dr. Anthony Balduzzi. He is the leader of the Fit Father Project, the Fit Mother Project. We're going to get into that in the episode. But he is a naturopathic doctor. So that's his background. But he is helping people all around the world not only lose weight, but get healthier. And he's really doing it for families. So he has an amazing mission and story behind his mission as to why he's going after the family approach. But it's hard for mom and dads. I mean, we don't have kids, but I watch my friends and I see them put their families, their kids ahead of their health. I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to cook or grocery shop. And he has found an approach that lets these mom and dads prioritize their health. He says, you don't have time. This is this is the hack. You don't have um, or you don't have time to cook, whatever, you don't have time to work out. Like he has all the solutions. And as he says, he has created a program that makes it sticky. So most diets, people jump on the bandwagon and they fall off and then they do it again and again. But he has found a way to get people to stick in the program and make it more of a lifestyle. So I love what he's doing. His presence online, YouTube is just so phenomenal. And yeah, I love this episode. It was a good one. Yeah, it's a good kind of sticky. We love it. And his just approach to mindset. And he's really so thoughtful. He's really, you can tell that he has experience ins and outs, like every situation. He just had such a clear and thoughtful answer to everything. So yeah, he's amazing. He's super fun. I think you're going to love him. Yeah. All right. So Dr. Anthony Balduzzi is the founder and CEO of the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project. Experienced a he experienced a pivotal moment in his childhood when he watched his own father work relentlessly only to succumb to illness and pass away at the young age of 42. Anthony was just nine years old at the time. This life-changing event inspired him to dedicate his life to helping busy fathers and mothers aged 40 and above lose weight, build muscle, and improve their overall health for the well-being of their families. As a licensed naturopathic doctor in Arizona. Dr. Balduzzi also holds dual degrees in nutrition and psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. In addition to his academic achievements, he is a former national champion bodybuilder. And through his unwavering commitment and efforts, Dr. Balduzzi has successfully helped over 60,000 families across more than 100 countries through his Fit Father and Fit Mother programs. Definitely have to check those out online. Make sure you scroll down. Yes. Lots of good resources. And let's jump in. Welcome, Dr. Anthony, to the Biohacker Babes. Thanks for joining us. 
Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yes. So excited for this conversation. We both just love your mission and we've been following your work. And I truly believe you are changing the world. You've helped thousands of families around the world with not just weight loss, but I think overall health. And I appreciate your background. You know, you're bringing the naturopathic or naturopathic, however you want to say Mm -hmm. medicine with a holistic approach. So it's not just like calories in calories out. Mm -hmm. You bring such a great, uh, like I said, holistic approach to it. So we're going to definitely get into some tips and strategies for doing all these things, especially for those over 40. We know the body changes after 40, things start to get harder, maybe decline, but you have some great tips for that. But before we jump into some of that, we would love for you to share your story with our audience and like what really inspired you to start the Fit Father and Fit Mother projects. Yeah. Well, thank you again for having me. Um, and both your energy is amazing. So I'm just like grateful. Oh. I, you. <laughs> you know, I I grew up, I think, with just like a pretty average childhood. You know, I love getting outside, playing with my little brother. And, and I was born in Syracuse, New York, and I grew up in Toronto, Canada, like a mix of those two places. What was unique about my childhood, though, is, is I watched my dad's health deteriorate through most of it. You know, like many parents, he kind of put his health on the back burner because he was working really hard to provide for our family and his health slipped. And eventually he got a ca- cancer diagnosis and he, he died when he was just 42 years old. So I was nine when that happened. And as you can imagine, it completely devastated like me and my family. I mean, to see your parent at that age, you just you think they're like immortal. I don't know. You don't even like think of the concept of death, but to witness like physical decline in such a visceral way, like I basically saw my dad die for a number of years, like in in his bedroom in hospice and then all the chemo and the radiation. And I got to see all these aspects of our medical system. And then, you know, after he passed, you know, I was left there as like a young boy in this weird transition, like about to get into my teens and, and seeking direction. Um, and one of the silver linings and the gifts of that moment was my mom gave me a pair of my dad's old dumbbells. You know, maybe his dumbbells he didn't use as much as he could have, but I started to train with those things. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was more intuitive. I just knew you could like lift them up and do some curls and do some push-ups, and I'd keep them under my bed and I started to exercise after mom tucked me in. And what I found what was really amazing is when I started to exercise, I started to feel better. I didn't understand the science at the time, but I was tapping into some of my my deep physiologic systems. I was changing my neurochemistry and I was actually exerting like a sense of positive control in my life by investing in my fitness. And, and I started to get stronger and I started to heal. And I, and I noticed when I went outside and I ran really fast and my lungs were burning, I didn't feel as sad afterwards. So I was like, wow, there's something here. And so I really wanted to like lean into that. And I did. I started training and training. And then when I got into high school, I had been training hard for like a number of years and I was like physically better than most kids just because, you know, I'd been putting in the time and the effort. But for me, it was more like a spiritual, emotional healing. But then it was one of those early things in my life where I was like, wow, I'm actually kind of good at this. Like I have something that other people are interested in. So I started to coach my friends and I would prep my meals before uh, high school and I carry around a big lunchbox. And it was kind of a little more like fitness bodybuilding style at the time, you know, because I was a young boy looking to put on some muscle, but it was really just a fascinating journey. I think it was like my first true love was obviously healing myself, but then learning how to get very strong. And that kind of went into, you know, my studies in university. I was a good student in high school and I went to my guidance counselor in high school and I was like, tell me like the best school that you think I can get into that also has the coolest gym. So like we went down the list and we found like, you know, anyways, I said, I settled on University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. It's an Ivy League school and they had a bodybuilding show. And I went there with my mom to visit the school. And I said, mom, one day when I'm here, I want to win this bodybuilding show. 
And fast forward, I ended up winning the school's bodybuilding show twice, which was such a cool experience for me, right? You know, like, you know, kind of like full circle to, you know, have built my body up in in such a tremendous way from this tragedy with my dad. And at that point, I'd been a personal trainer and, and I was really deep into fitness. And I was studying this stuff phenomenally. And the really amazing part about getting deep into like the fitness culture, and this was before Instagram, before it was like, like in vogue, I guess, per se, to like have a social media account where you're like posting yourself and you're ripped and stuff, was that you learn how to push the body in a very extreme way through the variables of training and nutrition and recovery and all that. So I learned so much. And, and, and then I, I realized that there was, there was more I wanted to help people with. I started nutrition in, in university and I was debating, you know, where do I go from here? You know, I know I want to like really help people with this stuff I'm so passionate about. And, you know, through a series of twists and turns, I ended up in naturopathic medicine and, and I, it really jived with me because it's a type of medicine that treats the whole person. It's a very holistic approach of, of looking at like, okay, what, what is natural law here? Okay. Well, there's circadian governance. There are there's certain nutritional principles. The body has certain aspects of exercise. And obviously there's pharmaceuticals that work. There's nutritional supplements that work. Um, and I, I just really jived with the philosophy of, of like now what's kind of like called functional medicine and all this, it's all coming together into a head, but it just like spoke to my soul. And what was powerful is when I got into medical school, I saw so many people just like my dad. They they didn't always have cancer, but they had metabolic disorders. They were struggling to find consistency with their health routines. And I'm like, man, this is the same thing that's happening to everyone. You become a parent. Naturally, your, your health gets put on the back burner if you don't have the right systems in place. And like, look what's happening. People are falling apart. And it's it's not strictly due to lack of knowledge. It's, it's due to lack of like creating a sustainable plan. So I started to tinker and build my first websites in medical school. And this was probably around like 15 years ago. And like, and fast forward now, you know, through many iterations, we have Fit Father Project that was born and Fit Mother Project. And we've had almost 100,000 people come through our programs now. So in over 100 countries. And I think we're just getting started. I think people like really need this stuff. And it's not that what we have is like that much more groundbreaking than anyone else. We just have found a way to make it like really sticky and bring it into like a system that works for busy parents. And then the one other thing I'd say that's pretty relevant, we may or may not get into is when I was in medical school, my final year, um, at this point, I'd like been building up my body. I was thinking I was kind of hot stuff about to graduate, become a doctor and, and starting these websites and getting some traction. I went on a skiing trip with one of my friends. It's just like a little breakaway from medical school. Um, and I was skiing with my my ego, basically. I had an intuition I should have slowed down and, and be careful. And I ended up getting into like a near fatal skiing accident. I hit a tree going like 35 miles per hour and basically shattered my body. My femur exploded into five, six pieces, broke my arm. And I had to learn how to like basically walk again and like reconstruct my right leg that included six surgeries, a leg lengthening procedure, stem cells, extensive rehab. And honestly, uh, with all that, a spiritual awakening that came on the back end of that as a guy who spent, you know, basically a couple decades building up his body and tying an ego to that and then destroying it, you know, and now needing to like put pull the pieces back together. So I think that's the abbreviated life story of where I'm at. You know, now I'm a guy just running these missions, you know, still healing. I'm a dad. I have a young daughter and I'm just here to help people with what I've learned. Incredible. I love how like through all of the challenges, you keep circling back and mentioning like there was a gift there. There was a lesson there. There was an opportunity there. And I think that's such a golden nugget for people. And something else that really stood out to me is your love of exercising and being healthier and the joy and like the feeling that it brought to you. Cause I think we mm-hmm. can get 
people really addicted to feeling that way yeah. rather than giving them a checklist of things that they have to do to be healthy, right? Like the right. buy-in is this can actually make you feel alive and more vibrant. And so I feel like even without you putting that on the checklist, like people feel that about your energy. And I assume it's like a massive part of your program. So I'm curious, like, is there anything in our brain chemistry that you can impart into this checklist or this program to make it kind of sticky? Like, what is it about your programs that make people like, I guess, addicted to the to the goods? Yeah, well, really well said. And I, I think what's fascinating is is ultimately in this process of getting ourselves healthy, like from a point A where we know we have a ways to go to Z where we're we're like we're like us, us three, where highly motivated, super bought in, consistent routines. This makes us feel good and it'd be hard for us not to live in a aligned, healthy lifestyle. Like that's a big gap there. You were changing neuro associations. We're breaking fundamental habits. We're we're confronting our stress outlets uh, and we're kind of rewiring our, our home environments. So there's a lot that goes into it. We start all of our programs before we give people nutritional guidance or exercise or any of that with really deep mental, emotional work. And we call it like writing a mission statement. But before people read the meal plan, they go through a process of like journaling and reflection where they basically get clear on what their conscious core values are. Like, what do you actually like think that you care about in your life? Well, I care about my family. I care about meaningful work, feeling spiritually connected to my sense of higher purpose in God, like whatever that is for somebody. And then we help people make neuro associations with how their health is fundamental to all of that. Like, how is your health showing up and impacting your ability to be a good parent, to provide and be successful at work? Well, I notice that I'm tired most of the day, or at least around the afternoon, and I'm pretty sure it's due to X, Y, Z. And what we're trying to do is collapse a mental fallacy that most people who struggle with their health have. And it's the same one that my dad had. It's that people believe their health is something separate than the rest of their lives. You can compartmentalize health as a, as a, a circle over here, and then everything else you're focusing on is over here. But it's just not the truth. We're, we are embodied beings, and the quality of our energy and the, our physiology and how on point that is, is we carry that with everything that we do. And so yeah. we want to collapse that distinction. And then when you collapse that distinction, it, it starts to make this new tie that when you're eating certain things or you're choosing whether or not to go invest in exercise, you're making a deeper decision than just like, ah, it's just a workout or, ah, it's just a cookie. It's now, hmm, it's a little deeper. This is like, I'm choosing like a path to walk that is influencing all these things I deeply care about. So we're trying, trying to pull on some of these psychological consistency biases in the mind. We also use the lever of pain. The, the human nervous system in, in many areas of the brain, and we respond to pain and pleasure. And unfortunately, the human mechanism has a, a short-term bias where we're really good at responding to short-term problems, like your house is on fire, everyone's running outside. But your heart is on fire and there's smoldering inflammation in your cardiovascular system. Ah, that's a 10, 15-year problem. Like We don't really respond to that well. So how do you bring pain into the present? This is a big part of psychology. So part of our process is, is helping people really get real about what the consequences are and make it feel visceral. And when we have that experience of an emotion tied with like our values – this is like the basis of change. Emotions have a neurochemical basis. We are changing electrical activity in the brain as well as certain chemicals are being squirted in certain areas that are making us feel a certain way. And emotions help repattern our thinking and our processes. So it's not like this happens overnight once you get this mission statement, but you do get some more clarity and you have written something down. And now you have a statement of like what you actually stand for. The fact that you're willing to, to make this a commitment that is deeper than maybe past times you've attempted to get healthy. And so we have people crystallize this 
into a written statement that they actually put into their environment as kind of like a stamp of their new neuro associations that they want to create and a constant reminder that this process is going to be inherently challenging, but deeply, deeply rewarding. So we start there. And I think that's foundational. And then the dojo that people get into is every day, right? I mean, health is so fascinating because it's iterative. We wake up every single fresh new day and we have the opportunity to make a series of choices that move us forward or, or further away from our goals. And so we help people win the day. And we believe that comes down to your system. Because if you have a system that makes things a little more turnkey as a busy parent, it's essential. And I think nutrition and circadian rhythm are like the two levers that are like the best ways that you can get a hold of your daily churn to start to create like positive momentum. So we can get into that. I know I'm excited. I'm speaking a lot. So I'll take a breath and I'll let you guys chime in and then we'll we'll go from there. Your excitement is appreciated. Yeah, this is amazing. So with all of that, how are people getting started? Is it like questions in their journaling to yeah. like really do pen to paper to figure out what the driver is? Yes, we have pen to paper. We have we we have a couple different modes. And this is what we found now, just like from a from a standpoint of like coaching and teaching, like because we have to figure out also how to do this at scale with people, is we give people typically different, many different methods to accomplish the same goal. So we have we actually have some audio video. Uh, visualizations that people can just literally listen to and do it as a more eyes closed mental emotional process. We have the pen to paper journaling worksheets that people can print out. Ultimately, this does culminate in people actually writing, answering some questions and then writing out something that is like a concrete statement that is a guiding, uh, a guiding light for them over a period of time. Now, what we found too in the psychology is we typically have people create like every people create a long term vision, but short term goals a long-term vision of what they'd like to create and what that ideal outcome might feel like, but short-term tangible goals about, okay, we're really zoning on these next 30 days. And we're going to try to like make this a discrete change because for someone who struggled for a long time and maybe failed many diets, there's, there's a lot of deep patterns in, in the mindset with like guilt patterns, past failures, uh, unconscious patterns of doubt. And it's kind of easy to, to get people to buy into like, we're going to try something for 30 days and then we'll, we'll see where we kind of end up. And that's not saying it's intended to be a short-term fix, but we're trying to get buy-in for a period of time that feels even a little more experimental. Okay. And people can buy in and try a new type of eating or a new type of movement for 30 days. And it turns out that it becomes intrinsically rewarding pretty quickly. So the 30 days is kind of how we structure the initial phase. Mm. And then are there usually pretty big adjustments after those 30 days? Or is that the tricky part? You're like, oh, so, now I got you and we're just staying the course. Yeah, well, good good question. So in, in terms of our programming and our approach, the first 30 days are largely about creating the daily routine. Um, first, the mindset work, then the nutrition, getting people on a, on a standardized, uh, getting them on a meal timing schedule setup that works uniquely for them. So one of the things on nutrition is we help them figure out, okay, are you the person that likes the classic breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner? Are you an intermittent fasting kind of person and it works better for you to shift it back and, and helping people find their structure and flow. And I think this is kind of like a, honestly, like a principle of nature, like insofar as our bodies are laid out on a skeletal structure on which muscles hang and move. Like, I think the nutrition timing in, insofar as it fits into our lifestyle schedule is the scaffolding through which we can kind of like gain a hook and gain control over like a daily routine. So the first 30 days are gaining like fundamental, figuring out your go-to meals for typically like breakfast and lunch. And I guess now we're kind of getting into some philosophy. I believe in the nutrition that we're always always balancing these forces of consistency and variety. 
you know, we, we need to be consistent because it's, it means it's like it's easier. There's less choice bias and all this stuff. But we need enough variety so that it's not like a soulless kind of plan. And so we help people figure out go-to meals for like the first two meals of the day, breakfast and lunch, you know, very dialed in. It's a time where you want to be consistent. You don't want a lot of thinking and dinner, a little more variety. So 30 days are establishing a nutrition plan. We introduce the, the concept of proper circadian rhythm, daily walking being more fundamental than formal workouts. And we help people make that distinction because a lot of busy parents just feel like when they're starting out, I don't have the energy or the time right now to go in and do higher intensity exercise. I know it's beneficial for me. And we, we give them exercise options they can do, but everyone on the plan starts to walk for at least 30 minutes a day. And then we introduce the kind of metabolic resistance training workouts that we're huge proponents of, which is a combination of basically strength circuit training. We take the fundamental motions that you want to be strong at when you're 40 and when you're 80, squats, hip hinging, shoulder pressing, rowing, pushing, these kinds of motions, and we string them into great circuit workouts. And, and the the one in our first program is called the Apex 10, and it's like a pyramid-style metabolic workout. And it's kind of fun because we've had so many people go through this workout at this point, so now there's a, like a lot of culture around it, and people are trying to like kind of conquer this Apex 10 pyramid. And, and in terms of the programming, the cool thing about over 40 is you can produce phenomenal weight loss results with very little like formal workouts. Like we've had people lose 100 pounds without doing any formal exercise. Um, that being said, even like two 30-minute higher intensity strength training sessions a week is, is enough paired with a meal plan, daily walking, and good sleep to move the needle substantially. So the whole like time objection, I don't have time for this. You know, you can find the time to get one to two workouts in per week and we show people how to do that. After the first 30 days, we start to introduce like concepts like longer fasting. We introduce a dinner to dinner fast. We change up some of the workouts. We get a little deeper on maybe some supplementation guidelines. We start talking a little bit deeper about some of the science of inflammation, gut health. But first off, we try not to overwhelm people and just get them into the fundamental routine so that they can start to practice. This is about practicing and gaining like the sense of autonomy and competence. And that happens. Everyone's got to kind of walk that journey for themselves. And the first 30 days are huge for that. Hmm. Yeah. People need that confidence feeling like, oh, I feel empowered. Like, yes, I can. I yeah. love that. Hey, biohackers. Are you looking to supercharge your focus, motivation, and mental clarity? Well, look no further because we've got something exciting to share with you today. It's called Blue Canatine by Transcriptions, and it's a game changer for those who want to unlock their full potential. Blue Canatine is a unique cutting-edge supplement that combines four powerful ingredients, methylene blue, caffeine, nicotine, and CBD. This extraordinary blend is designed to support your energy levels, enhance your concentration, and give you the mental clarity and motivation you need to tackle your day head-on. So let's break it down. First up, methylene blue. This powerful compound has been shown to enhance mitochondrial function, helping your cells produce more energy. It's like a jumpstart for your brain and body, keeping you alert and focused. This is also what's responsible for those fun blue tongue photos we post on social media. But don't worry, if you don't want the blue tongue, you can always swallow the trochee instead. Next up, we have caffeine. We all know caffeine is a classic pick-me-up, but combined with the other ingredients in blue canatine, it's like caffeine on steroids without the jitters. Next up, we have nicotine. Now, before you jump to any conclusions, blue canatine uses a very, very low dose of nicotine at just one milligram for an entire trochee. This has been shown to have cognitive enhancing effects, which is one reason why we love taking it before recording a podcast. And finally, we have CBD. This just helps create a sense of balance and relaxation to complement the energy boosting effects of the other ingredients. And the best part, 
Blue Panatine is backed by science and carefully crafted to provide consistent, reliable results. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, a busy parent, or anyone looking to maximize their productivity, this supplement is here to help you perform at your peak. All right, so you ready to try it yourself? Head on over to troscriptions.com. Make sure you use promo code BIOHACKERBABES to get an exclusive 10% discount on your purchase. Again, that's troscriptions.com. And I will put the link in the show notes. So go ahead and scroll down to check that out. All right, let's get back to the show. Yeah. yeah. And I love that you say you don't need that much formal exercise. Like, I think that's like a foreign concept to some people. And this mm-hmm. is ironic timing. Actually, my husband and his friends will say, um, they've kind of been getting in a disagreement around how much exercise you need to do. The friend is like in the gym two to three hours a day, every day. And my husband and I don't, we're not like that. And ironically, we're watching live to 100 on Netflix this past week. And none of them go to the gym. These sincerians, they don't go to the zero. They don't do P90X. They walk, they garden, they're outside. They have social connections. And like, I love sharing that too. The centenarians, they don't. And we can get into that, like what's optimal and on that front. But I I would say like high intensity exercise is meant to be like intermittently pulsed. It's it's meant to create a a stimulus, a stimulus for the muscles, stimulus for the mitochondria. We're also looking to pair exercise with how regulated our nervous system is. Like if you're a parent and you're not sleeping and you're stressed and you have routines, like dumping on high intensity exercise and pushing the nervous system even harder is like not ideal, right? So it needs to be looked at holistically. But if you're someone young, super dialed in, you're really looking to push your fitness, like then there's benefit of exercising a lot more frequently. But the cool thing is like when you get older, your recovery capacity goes down. This is just like a thing. It's not like it's in the can. Like you can be better at 50 than you were at 40. Like that's a fact, but your recovery capacity goes down. So you don't need to exercise as frequently. So a couple pulses are are good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Are you pulling in metrics, like any da- data quantification to help people to kind of monitor the recovery or is it more subjective? Well, the cool th- to trust their bodies. The cool thing about this is like, it, I think this aspect fits every person in their unique personality. Like some people are absolutely more data inclined just naturally. And other people are just like, ah, I don't like to track anything. And so we give people the options and, and a lot of people do use uh, aura rings, whoops, Fitbits. Some people have like CGMs and stuff like this. And so it's kind of variable based on the person, but we give, but we do explain a couple basics. Like we do help people. One thing we do, and this is like the most basic kind of tracking you can do is we help people weigh themselves daily. And, and we don't actually do this because you want to see the weight go daily, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hook of data that people can start to understand and see their fluctuations in their weight and start to tie those to, uh, to things that they're eating and things that they're doing, especially when people are doing really well and they find, Oh, I actually didn't sleep well last night. And I find that I'm like up a few pounds or I'm not having lost some weight. Now we're starting to help people get like a feedback loop so they can get more learning and actually start to, to get some more, more feedback on their bodies. So basic biometrics, like we have people do, you know, some of their measurements, but some people go deeper with the tracking devices. Yeah. Some people That's love great. it. We love it. But I yeah. know for some yeah. people it drives them crazy. I'm, they're like, don't give me metrics. It's yeah. gonna, my psychology is going to just go downhill. Exactly. So fast. Yeah. So I like that. It sounds like you're really building a curated toolbox. So you can be like this tool in, this tool yes, out. Yes. And someone can self-select on- their own journey. And that's the only way I think to like, well, one, I think there's such power with working with a deep individualized coach who's like tailoring the exact thing to you. And what we're looking to accomplish with Fit Father and Fit Mother, we have like, we're casting such a wide net and inviting everyone to the party that people need to be able to like choose their own adventure in the context of the playground we have. Yeah. Love that. yeah. I'm curious with the exercise programming 
what kind of equipment do people need? Is this like dumbbells they can do it at home or pair of dumbbells or kettlebells? But as you can imagine, awesome. helping that many people over 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 40, 50, 60, like we have modifications for everything you could possibly imagine. Knees, shoulders, back, bands, no, no equipment needed. But the ideal workouts are done with a pair of dumbbells, kettlebells. So here's an example of like what that Apex 10 workout might look like. There's there's 10 levels to the workout. And like level five means you do five reps of all these exercises like in flow. So it'd be like five kettlebell swings immediately into five squats, into five shoulder presses, into five rows, into five pushups, and then you rest and then you do level six and then you rest seven rest. And so we're just taking fundamental motions that you need to be strong at and stringing them together in, into a very time efficient flow. And they're super effective for people over 40. You get strength training, cardio and mobility all in one, very time efficient and the workouts are purifying on more of like a mental, emotional, spiritual level too, because this is often the time when someone has really conquered something that's been very hard. And, and I think people, a lot of parents just, you know, you get out of the habit at a certain time when you haven't been an athlete for a long time. You know, it's been a while since you've trusted that you can push your body to like to do something really hard and to accomplish it. It starts to change your psychology in a profound way. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm actually amazed how many people, even like at my age that don't, exercise. And I think you just kind of said it there. If you don't have like an athletic background, mm -hmm. like Lauren and I were dancers. So mm -hmm. I have been moving every day my whole life. I can't imagine not moving, but for someone that maybe didn't grow up with any kind of athletic background, they've never really worked out. And now they're 35, 40, 45. It seems like this is a great place to get started because it's pretty 100%. simple. You don't need a lot of equipment. You can do it at home. Yep. Yep. And yeah. I think the other aspect that's, that's powerful too is like we learn by observation. I mean, that's first like when we're when we're kids, we're learning and observing our parents and we have like mirror neurons in our brain that's constantly like, you know, responding to to things we're observing. We put everyone like in community. So either through Facebook groups or different kind of group platforms that we do have. So when newbies come in and they're seeing someone who's been on the program for like six years, like they're learning and modeling and mirroring behaviors and seeing that it's possible. And I think it's really cool when you have a lot of people who maybe are like 50 and there's a lot of the excuses of like, oh, it's not possible at my age or it's not possible at 60 to see just a tremendous amount of proof that even just merely being in a like-minded community of 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 people of the similar age, similar gender and all this stuff like starts to rewire psychology too. Cause that's what we need to do. We need to like ultimately change the psychology to the point where you get to where it's like, this is just how I live. And I feel so good. Now, another cool thing about this is once you clean up people's nutrition, like their bodies just start to feel better. Obviously energy levels go up, digestive systems, better regulated sleep improves. We allow them to Mind. incorporate, yeah, yeah, or all of that. We allow them to incorporate what we call free meals, not cheat meals. But we start to say, hey, you know, start to play around, pre-plan these things. But like once a week, once every, you know, seven to 14 days, schedule your free meal. And typically we have them do it on the, the Friday night or Saturday night when there's like a family thing. And it's it's a really powerful practice because at first that like is the pressure release valve for someone who is addicted to certain foods and still feels like they're not off the table. Like have the pizza, have the burger, have the whatever. But after time, it honestly becomes a really powerful, uh, like make like a feedback loop in the sense where it's like, man, I felt fantastic all week. I had a whole bunch of sushi and I woke up today and I'm five pounds heavier and I feel bloated and like that wasn't even worth it. Like it was good, but it wasn't that good. So now they're actually starting to retrain themselves through their own behavior. It's like Pavlovian conditioning, but they're like both the director and the receiver of it. And so now we're getting into some really deep stuff. 
Um, and then you find that people's preferences and tastes and palates change over time. And, and then they get used to liking the the healthier foods. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that. You're like, they get to hit the explosive button. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Actually, for me, like my biggest driver to not eat sugar at night is because of what it does to my sleep. Right. Because like, I think it's easy to like, look at the, like, I love ice cream. I rarely mm-hmm. eat it, but it's easy to look at the ice cream and say, well, I'll just work out harder tomorrow, right? Sure. Like you make up an excuse as far as the calories. But for me, I know I'm going to wake up at 3 a.m. because my blood sugar is going to drop <laughs> and I'm going to sleep like crap. And then I'm going to yeah. feel like crap the next day. And yep. it's like, I don't want to do that to myself. That's totally. a bigger yeah. driver. So getting tied into that feeling. I'm the same way. I already know, like, I won't work out harder the next day because I'm going to feel terrible. So it's yeah. like two marks against me. Yeah. But you have and to experience that first. You do. And there's many things. Like, you experience it with your sleep. I think the cool thing about the daily weighing is people will typically find that there's, like, obviously a weight bump or they're just not feeling as good the next day. So that's also, like, another, like, little bit of whip in the butt that they can start to tie to their behaviors. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's cool. Those feedback yeah. loops are really important. Yeah. Do you know what one of the most frustrating things about sleep is for me is when you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't shut your brain off and you're thinking about all the things you need to do the next day or maybe the things that you did the day before that you would have done differently. Oh, I hate when this happens. And I'm guessing it's probably happened to you a couple of times, maybe every night. Well, let me tell you my new secret to deal with this. You have probably heard of Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers and how it's great for sleep and promoting calmness and relaxation. What I found out is that the brains behind Magnesium Breakthrough have taken it to the next level with a product specifically designed for sleep. It's called Sleep Breakthrough, and I think this could be a game changer in the field. So Sleep Breakthrough is a delicious pre-bed drink that combines the power of magnesium with other natural ingredients like valerian root to help us fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up feeling refreshed. Any night that I take Sleep Breakthrough, I sleep through the night, no crazy monkey brain in the middle of the night, and I'm ready to tackle the next day. So I highly recommend giving Sleep Breakthrough a try. Trust me. Go ahead, visit sleepbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes. Oh, and guess what? You get a discount. So if you use promo code biohackerbabes10 at checkout, you'll get a discount and they might throw in a little surprise gift for you guys. Uh, One more reason why we love shopping at Bioptimizers. So go ahead, head over to sleepbreakthrough.com slash biohackerbabes to get your sleep breakthrough and start sleeping great tonight. Good question. Why 40? (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm, I, I, well, I think obviously with my dad knowing that he passed away at 42, and it's fascinating now, like being close to that age. It's like that is so young at this point. Like I used to think it was like old, like over 40 or old, but it's like so Same. young, you know, Same. right? I, I mean, it's think that, yeah, yeah, it's like oh, it's oh, young, but like man, people were 40. It's like so young. Um, I also think that this is. I'm just so passionate about families because health obviously impacts so much more than just us. Health is culture. Health is steeped in food. Health is how we have the ability to connect with each other long-term. Health is our vibrancy and health is passed down to our kids. Like look what's happening right now with childhood obesity, diabetes, like childhood diabetes, like outside, like type two diabetes didn't exist like, like Mm -mm. 20 years ago, but it's like, it's a real issue right now. Right. I mean, and I think that like, I want to, get to parents because you get healthier parents trickle down. You're going to get healthier kids because kids are not making their own food decisions and they don't know any better. And so it just becomes like the, the water that they're raised in. And I, and I think like 
insofar as I'm a naturopath, like we like preventative medicine. And I, I think by helping parents, you can actually help with another future generation. So it's not that there are certainly parents in their 30s, but I do find that when you're in your 30s and you have kids and give a decade of bad habits and you're in your 40s now with kids, like you start to get into a big rut. And I want to help people like really unwind that. Um, yeah. So I, I just like, it's because of my dad, it's because of families and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great mission. Yeah. I mean, Lauren and I were fortunate to grow up with, you know, our parents eating really healthy. So we, we mm-hmm. witnessed that. I mean, of course we had our fair share of like pizza hut occasionally and things sure. like that, but, Fruit but overall, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we grew up in the nineties, so you know, there's yeah. plenty of that, but, but I think that that still like laid the foundation for such healthier habits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big mission uh, to to be able to help these kids because it is it's getting out of control and yeah it's kind of disheartening to think about but um, thank mm-hmm. you to what you're doing you're really going to change the game. Well, I mean, here's what's fascinating. I think there's such a with the explosion of the internet and especially the health aspect of this. Like, I mean, we're here on this podcast because all of us are passionate about sharing this health message and like just look on YouTube or Instagram. Whether it's Instagram's very physically focused and YouTube's all this information out there, like. People really do. We have an inherent drive as humans to thrive in the physical, mental, emotional dimension. So like people want this. And we also know that we have a pretty sick culture that, you know, is driven by a lot of unhealthy food, habits, addictions, and all of this. And people were starting to experience the pain and the effects of that uh, individually. Um, and I think consumer demand and consumer behavior is going to drive the kind of products that are that are in the marketplace. Like when people stop buying less healthy foods over time, like, you know, the unhealthy foods over time, it's going to shift the kind of things that are marketed. So it's not like these things can change overnight. But if we make shifts like in each individual family unit, each individual person, like over time, you know, that really does start to change, change things. And it might take 50 years, it might take 100 years. Um, but I, I do think we have this inherent drive to to be healthy and be well. And so we're ultimately going to move more in that direction over time. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I've always felt like our dollars towards food really make a difference and they change. Do. But I think to play devil's advocate, like the food industry is always five, 10 steps ahead of us. H- mm-hmm. How do you think we can stay on top of that? Because like the gluten-free movement, suddenly it's like all like 100 ingredients to make up for the gluten. And we're getting exposed to more and more things. There's only one example, but like marketing is just so powerful, even in health food stores. Yeah, I think, think we stay ahead? Well, I think every market like goes through levels of sophistication of understanding. Like, and I, and I think that we had the time where you know, everyone thought all the plant-based foods, it says plant-based, it's obviously naturally great for you, right? Well, not exactly. Or gluten-free means it's healthy. And I, I think now with enough people like us here that are, you know, creators that are sharing things and it's becoming, there's more awareness. I, I, I just think that the kids now, the next generation who are growing up on the internet, on YouTube, learning things, they're just not going to be duped. They're just going to know these things. It's not going to be like, People are going to know. And I think with enough generations, it might take a whole generation to pass and, and for knowledge really to be well ingrained that these are not the good, healthy things. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think we're going to figure it out in time with more knowledge and yeah. sophistication. Yeah, actually, yeah. I think a good example of this is like the more curious, sober movement. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know why this has been like coming up a lot on Instagram lately, but like alcohol sales are down. This is just yep. one example. But like the next generation is like, I don't want to, drink the way totally. my parents generation did i don't want to feel like crap on the weekends and so now more than ever there's all these like alcohol free alternatives on the market i mean you can go into sprouts now and there's like a wall of alcohol free drinks i'm not saying that those are great some of them have yeah. a lot of sugar and stuff but but 
10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen that. Mm -hmm. So that's just one category of health, I would say, that's changing. Well said. I want to play devil's advocate to myself now. I think one thing that has changed, though, is like we are definitely we have the most addicted neurochemistry out of any current generation I think we've had due to the phones, the social media, like a lot of different types of things. And unhealthy behaviors prey on our addictions. They prey on us wanting to balance our neurotransmitters through all sorts of escapism, you know, food, next kind of hit of this or that. So I feel like until we get to the to to balance neurochemistry and we can kind of confront the fact that, you know, dopamine serotonin drives a lot of our, our kind of things and, and, and the phones play into the unhealthy food too as well, let alone the circadian rhythm disruptions, right? From from all the phones and the blue light and non-native EMF, like it's deep. I'm not gonna, you know, I can't. I, I must oh, admit, yeah. it's like a no, deep. It's like, yeah, oh, it's but everywhere. The phones, but the phones too. We actually just had a guest on this week who's the world's first digital habits coach. I love saying that, and he's like starting this new movement of like, let's socialize without our phones. Let's leave cool. our phones behind. And so, like, that's another movement that I'm. I'm hoping that the next generation will, yeah, grasp onto that because I can't imagine being five years old with an iPad. Like, that's pretty crazy but hopefully we're going to see a lot of that change yeah and the last thing yeah, i'll say on this is plus it, sober free yeah right i think it's like our nature it's the human nature to go into these extremes to experience the effects of this and then we always whip back like insofar yeah. as society shifts to be very conservative and then we have a liberal influence that comes back and we're kind of like going like this and i think as we we're we're already starting to get this experience the consequences of the over digitalization so there will be a pullback to a mean but i also think it's going to be very determined by your local community your access to resources and knowledge and the the people around you so it's fortunate. I think community becomes ever more important, uh, especially local communities in the digital age and having healthier people around you or like-minded people is is going to be one of your greatest hedges, if you will, for a really great life. I, I think in, in 10, 15, 20 years, there's going to be pods of people who are massively healthy, living aligned with less technology. And there's also going to be even more sick, addicted people in the system. And um, maybe it's just mm-hmm. how it is. Yeah, I think there will always be extremes, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think the pendulum swinging, it's like experience, exposure, it's, yes. it's all good. And yeah. just a quick story, I have uh, this client who's been working from home and she's finally transitioning back to work in the office and she has all kinds of, you know, ADD, focus mm-hmm. issues, depression, and simply just going back to the office, she was like, I feel so much better. Like, I realized I needed people. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God. oh. that's super valuable. Um, but also we were talking about how she is never satisfied. Like the boredom level is never satisfied by anything that she does. And so we're coming at this from like a mental, emotional, behavioral component, but also gut health because her gut is a little bit of a wreck. And I'm just presenting this as a little bit of a case study. Like I think Mm -hmm. it is community, but also our neurotransmitters are so deeply driven by what's happening in the gut. Yeah. And I care so much about gut health. So I'm curious your perspective and how you approach that. Yeah. With your clients. Well, I think it's like there's a tremendous change that happens with the gut microbiome when you when you radically change your diet, right? You mean different substrate in there, obviously sugars, different fibers. I mean, we're we're like in terms of like the foods that we incorporate, we are a lower carb approach, but we do have people still include like solid sources like we're pro blueberries, you know, but we, you know, have you know, these types of things like yeah. fibers, fiber in the in the context of, of good type stuff. We do recommend um, that people use basic 
gut hygiene stuff, get short chain fatty acids, get more fiber, um, take a probiotic, especially when you're trying to repopulate and, and, and improve your GI tract health. Obviously, circadian rhythm plays a big thing. Get the artificial sweeteners out of your life. Because we're working with people at scale, we're not doing as much advanced diagnostic gut testing. Um, and we, but we do help people become a lot more aware of their digestive health and like tracking their poop and then also tying food sensitivities, even without testing, but starting to realize which kind of foods make the GI tract feel better than others, which you can kind of have a more personalized nutrition plan. It's, it's very foundational as, as you two know very deeply how, how important that is. Yeah. And I, and I think everyone having a good natural anti-inflammatory source and, and stuff that's good for the GI tract is key. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I mean, most people are not doing the foundational things. So like you, mm. I mean, you always have to start there, but I am curious if you have someone that's in the program and they're like, okay, I'm doing all the, all the foundational things. I got it. Checking it mm. off, but they might have yet yeah, a further you know, problem in the gut. Maybe they have a hormone issue. Mm -hmm. Like, do you ever interject and say like, maybe it's time to go work with a doctor or something? Yeah. Like, is there a we, next step? For sure. We have like, we have definitely have regular people we refer out to, to give you like more functional GI testing and stuff like that on top of what we're doing or hormone optimization on top of what we're doing. And that might be getting the lab work, getting bio HRT or stuff like this. Um, yeah. Or GI map testing and stuff like this. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. I love that. So I'm curious about the nutrition bucket. I know it's a really complicated thing and it's very personal, but to make something a little bit more tangible for our listeners, like, mm -hmm. could you possibly give us like three nutrition tips that would be good for everyone to yeah. follow? Sure. I'll kind of get back to a mix of like behavioral psychology plus like nutritional science. Okay. Whenever you have your first meal of the day, like in that, that could be the straight up breakfast or it could be pushback if you're in a fasting state. I believe that meal needs to be easy to digest, meaning it doesn't have a lot of digestive stress and load. So typically these are like the classic eggs and fruit kind of like style meal or just straight eggs and avocado. So you want to prioritize proteins, healthy fats, and some fiber. This could also be a power smoothie. You know, you're throwing a bunch of awesome stuff in there into a blended smoothie. And I think, or it could be something maybe if you tolerate the carbohydrates well, like overnight oats. But dialing in a meal number one that is protein and protein, healthy fat and fiber focus is going to keep your blood sugar levels like very stable. Um, and it's just super beneficial to have something really turnkey. And as I share this, I would love to know what both of you have for your meal number one. If you have a standardized meal number one and when it happens, like do you have a go-to breakfast and when does it happen? Because I always like to get the, the intel yeah. from really healthy people. I don't oh. have a go-to. I have like such a big rotation, but sometimes okay. it's eggs, avocado, sometimes it's some kind of meat with some greens. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a smoothie. Sometimes it's a yogurt, like a power yogurt with okay. seeds and protein powder. I'm doing like a cycle off of dairy for the moment, but okay. mine changes pretty okay. often. That's interesting. Cool. Yeah. I, I like to rotate mine as well. Like today, I'll say what I had today. I had some organic full fat yogurt, uh -huh. With a collagenous protein powder, which is like collagen protein yeah. mushrooms. And then like a sprouted, it was like a sprouted seed thing with like coconut flakes, pumpkin seeds, and sunflower seeds. Ooh, that was today. That's good. That's it was cool. delicious. It was delicious and like super dense and filling. Did you make um, it up on the fly or do you have a plan? Like just like this is what you had around the house, you grocery shop, you had the full fat yogurt, you added the kind of stuff. I usually do yogurt once or twice a week. Uh -huh. And I just buy the little, the little yeah. containers because like I I will never eat the big container because I only do it once or twice a week. So I kind of knew today was going to be the day. 
that I was going to do that. But then I like to rotate in. I do really well with like eggs, avocado, mm-hmm. and veggies. Yep. So, I mean, like you said, like the protein, fat, fiber, I definitely yeah, that, have to do that. That's the combination that was a, a through line for both of your responses is like yeah. protein, fat, fiber keeps you full, easy to digest, you know, good for blood sugar stability. You know? Yeah. And I, and I've played with the CGM a lot. And if I do more carbs than that, then I definitely get on the roller coaster. Mm-hmm. But then if I don't have any carbs, like strict keto breakfast, I actually get a little foggy brained. Mm-hmm. So I have found like, like low glycemic veggies, maybe a little bit of fruit seems mm-hmm. to do well. Um, nice. But it's it's easier now that I work from home. I feel like that is a luxury to be able to like yeah. make a different breakfast every day. Like when I used to work in an office, I did like the power protein smoothie mm-hmm. every day, Monday to Friday. Yep. Yeah. It's and that's kind, that's kind of the routine that I think a lot of our, our fit fathers and fit mothers fall into is like, you know, the really standardized, consistent meal number one, because it, it typically is an easy way to get an initial habit. And I think it's important to note, and I'll get back into some of my nutrition tips that there's stages of this game. Like when we really learn a new language or we learn something, we we need it's beneficial to get very somewhat dogmatic for a short period of time or somewhat very focused for a short period of time to get consistency and to get results. And then when you become a little more of like a master, then you can like break the rules because you know the rules. And I think you guys are probably a little more on the mastery side of things at this point. That's a good. Yeah, I feel like that's where we live. Like anytime someone asks me what I eat, I I hesitate because I'm like, wait a minute, I'm like in a different kind of category (laughs) here. Like I wouldn't recommend this to anyone to just eat whatever. I'm like, Eat whatever because you have this. such yeah. competency at this point that you know that you can rotate. You don't have to think about as much. You know foods that work for you, and yeah, I, you have habits that are deeper. It's like next level. It's like this meta game higher up. Yeah, yeah. But like in in the yeah. spirit of being very consistent and regimented, this is what we'd also suggest for like a meal two or a lunch whenever someone has this. So like we're huge fans of just the simple like protein and greens, aka the salad. Like I love it because you can get it basically anywhere, and you can pair any kinds of proteins on top of greens. You know, you're getting good insoluble fiber. You can throw a bunch of other good stuff in there. Olive oil-based dressing, have some healthy fats, protein, good, works great. We're also fans of sprouted organic bread for people who can tolerate wheat in wheat like this. So like Ezekiel bread, organic sourdough, einkorn wheat style bread, but you can make a sandwich. And I think that's really liberating for people in their fifties who grew up eating sandwiches. It's like, actually, you know what? You can have an Ezekiel bread, turkey, avocado sandwich and have that very often if you tolerate it well and lose weight. So that that's really freeing for a lot of people or the classic, like have leftovers from dinner, like overcook your dinner. And now you have something there. So you always have this in slot item that you don't need to think much about. And every person would be healthy. If like it was mealtime and I like knocked on your door and opened it up. It's like, here's your favorite healthy food. It's mealtime. Enjoy. I'll see you in a few hours or whatever. Like we can give ourselves that kind of service in a sense through a little bit of prep and planning. We're big fans of like for on the snack front, is not snacking often. I mean, we all kind of know it's like better to keep your blood sugar like stable and not snack between meals. That being said, I think the the time between noon and like, let's just say someone has dinner at six, like that can be a long period of time where people like often benefit from having something. And so for snacks, like whole non-processed foods are like what we prioritize. So like the fruit and nuts combination or just straight nuts, a couple of the bars that like actually have very few ingredients can be decent. It could be a shake. It could be some kind of jerky of some sort, but like whole non-processed, like natural foods are the best snacks. And these are typically non-perishable and can be the through line for you when you travel and you're away from home. It can be something consistent you can kind of bring with you. 
So that's good. And then for dinner, we teach a concept of building a perfect plate. So imagine a blank plate of food. We fill half of it with some kind of fibrous veggie you love, a quarter with protein and a quarter with healthy carbs. Or if you want to go very low carb, some healthy fats, you know, just kind of more of a keto presentation of, of that type of meal. But like you build perfect plates like that, we can throw so many things on there. It could be like salmon, asparagus, and quinoa. It could be like some kind of bowl with grass-fed brown beef, fajita veggies, you know, rice or no rice, like whatever it, it, you know, could be the chicken breast, avocado and steamed broccoli. It could be so many different combinations. And I think people uh, really gravitate towards this because you can get variety. You can make meals to work for your family and your kids. And it's just like a nice framework. These plates are always calorie controlled. If you build a perfect plate, it's pretty much impossible to make it more than like 500 to 700 calories, which for most people is like a decent range to fall into a healthy dinner, at least for someone looking to to lose some weight and was still feeling like satiated. So, mm -hmm. and we're, yeah. we're obviously big fans of like incorporating some amount of fasting and, you know, the fasting is, is, is interesting because it's, it's a fair enough tool to control calories. It, the deeper fasts obviously have some metabolic benefits and immune system benefits, but also it just gets people to become more aware of their different hunger signals and some of their mental habits and patterns and, and exert some discipline in, in their nutrition. Ah, uh, totally. I'm glad you brought up the fasting and the snacking. And I think there's a connection here. Um, I, I think it's good to give people permission to have that snack if they need it, because I'm finding more and more the pendulum is swinging towards like, oh, we're all talking about not snacking. Now people are fighting through that. They get home and they are ravenous and right. they can't not eat dessert and a Correct. treat after and mm. something before bed. It's like, no, no, no. Just put, put the snack in so that yep. we can not feel crazy by the 100%. time we get home. That's yeah. my experience. Yeah, I love that. And the snacking. And Great then of tips. course the fasting gives you the discipline to be able to listen to your body and then give yourself. Yeah. And, and you do it, it for the sleep, right? I mean, a big thing part of the fasting is that like we're just gonna talk about like I think now we know probably not a great idea to eat a lot of food in within a short period of time before going to bed, just because of the digestive stress, it almost always messes up people's sleep. It's better to like yeah. have a slightly earlier dinner and then have some and time of digestion, rate. right? Heart rate, right? And body then we also temperature know all it's awful. Of it. Yeah. Totally. So that's so like, that's a big reason. And then, you know, educating people on how important sleep is circadian rhythm and why it's like, if you miss sleep, you are pushing a giant rock uphill, like cardio metabolically with your willpower, your discipline, your insulin resistant the next day, you're more likely to crave a bunch of crap, you know, your workouts are not going to be as effective. So like, when people understand how foundational that is, it gives them a lot more motivation why not to do this. Another tip we have people do is honestly, sometimes we have them just brush their teeth after dinner. Like, you know, you, you finish, you know, just brush yeah. your, brush your teeth and create a little bit of like a, do I really want to eat like, you know, a peanut butter cup? So I have to brush my teeth again. Like that sucks. So I don't know. There's little tricks and yeah. it works for some people, works for others, you know. It's like yeah, the it Invisalign effect. Oh, yeah. I, need. I got my teeth. In. Exactly. Oh, Invisalign worked so well. You don't want to take those suckers back out. You're right? like, all right, I'm done for the day. Yeah. I'm curious with the sleep piece. Do you find that people ever push back on that? Like the... I'm going to wake up at 5 a.m. and do my workout, even if it means less sleep. And obviously you're coming back and saying, you know, sleep is the priority. Do you find that people struggle with that concept? No, I think, well, I mean, some people probably do. And I, I think this is where personality plays so deeply into the kind of routines that people have. Like there's a lot of type A people that, you know, want to, you know, have that presentation of like, want to absolutely crush it. Don't get it. Like, I'm okay with not getting as much sleep. I'll just take some more coffee and, and do it. And, and I think this is great. If that's what you're at, then do that and experience the effects of that. And if it is working, who am I to say that like 
that's not good for your particular physiology because we are all wired differently. There are people who need substantially less sleep and can still be very successful on it. You know, by and large, you know, I, I still think the principles stand stand the the test of time. I think the big thing where you can op- most people need to optimize outside of like these biohacker communities that we're in here is like the entrainment to blue light and getting rid of that at night and having better light hygiene is probably one of the biggest areas for people. And and, and perhaps you know, I think people need to, to target to have better in terms of more hours of sleep for people like, man, I could probably sleep a little bit more. And then two is, is the, the melatonin protection with the blue light is everyone in the Western world should probably be protecting themselves from blue light in some way, shape or form. Right. But the percentage of people, if we actually knew that are, I would posit it's probably less than, it's certainly less than 5%, maybe even less than one or 2%. Like how many people do you think are actually legitimately like night shift mode, you know, blue blocker glasses, changing lights out in their house. It's a tiny fraction. We think it's everyone maybe because we're in these weird communities, but like, yeah, there's a lot of gains to be made on that front. Yeah. yeah. And even I, clients that have all this stuff, they're like, Oh, I forget to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I quick, funny story. I was at like a functional medicine practitioner meetup. This was mm-hmm. maybe three years ago and we were going around the room and just sharing like what you do and things that, yeah, I guess it was more like what you do. And I was like, Oh, I have a podcast about biohacking. You know, we talk about Probably a lot of the things everyone in this room knows, you know, blocking blue light at night and blah, blah, blah. And the guy that was running the event stood up and he was like, how many of you know about the dangers of blue light? And no one raised their hand. He was like, can you, Renee, can you explain what is happening with blue light at night? And I just, I totally assumed everyone in the room knew. Dang. I mean, it's three years ago, I guess things have changed. But still, it's all functional medicine practitioners. Wow. And then we also yeah. have other things against us. Like there was some, it was like some big news outlet, ABC or something came out with this uh, oh. report about some study that was done that was funded by, you know, some shady stuff, but they're basically like blue light blockers don't work. ABC news. I'm like, Oh, oh my great. goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm sure some of them don't, but like, come on now. I, I, I we're and this is my prediction. It is going to be inescapable in the next 10 years for people not to know how important light is for human physiology. Like, and I think we're really just starting to figure this out. I don't know if you guys have gone down the rabbit hole of work of like Dr. Jack Cruz or people like this who are getting super serious about, you know, melanin and the connection with all that and and light signaling. And, but I'm like, I'm super bought in. I think that the human mechanism needs to be very entrained to the natural solar cycles. And that means morning sunshine for the cortisol balance and the serotonin production UV sun breaks in the middle of the day. We've been so scared of UV light, which I understand there are effects of that, but we do need some. And, you know, I'm constantly looking at getting some UV sun on my skin into my eyes and, and in trying to catch the sunset when I can. And this is like next level of the game, right? If you're trying to establish your nutrition habits and do workouts, so there's there, but I think the light physiology connection, we're going to get a lot more hard science on how powerful that is. Yeah. Or yeah, just get people that. addicted to the feeling. Like I can't imagine anyone going to stand outside and being like, this feels terrible. Right. Totally. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. even more than exercise, like exercise feels hard, but like light, come on. Oh, yeah. right? It feels so good. So but isn't good. that, isn't that telling us all that we need to know? Like the, uh, for the, me, it's enough, but some people need hard but research. The, but the it. physiology, like, um, yeah, the, the pleasure it drink. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess anyways, that, that could be taken in many ways. I love totally. the <laughs> Me too. Um, We have to turn this question around on you since you asked us, what is your breakfast? And then follow up question. Do you have a evening or morning routine that's really special that you would like to share? Sure. 
Um, morning routine, I'll just, I'll, I'll run you through it. It's changed in many ways, shape or forms through, through time. But the things that are like really important is I wake up and I rehydrate, you know, 20 to 32 ounces of pure water, but I add a lot of like different kinds of trace minerals. Right now I have some humic and fulvic acids in there as well as like a, a full spectrum, like sea mineral supplement. That's like really minerally, but like I get the minerals in the water first thing in the morning. Cause the body needs that. Um, I will meditate. And this is something that has been just really profound to me, especially through like my leg healing and all that. Like I, I gained an interior practice of, of sitting in stillness. And at first I thought it was like good for biohacking purposes, like increases like gray matter helps you focus. And now it's like a lot deeper than that. Like I couldn't imagine not doing it. So I have a chair in a couple of different rooms where I sit and I do some meditation before I have any food or anything in my stomach. And that's a really powerful connected part of my day. Um, and I have a cold plunge at my house. And so I hop in the cold plunge for a couple minutes every morning too, which is just like a really powerful way to tap into some physiology and those neurotransmitters. And then I warm up and I'm getting sunshine on my skin and my eyes. And the cool thing is like that routine can compress or expand to as much time as I, I do have. So it could literally be as simple as wake up, rehydrate five, 10 minutes of meditation, three minutes in the cold plunge, five minutes in the sun, and it's done in like 20, 30 minutes. Or this could be like a full hour plus kind of scenario as well. But, you know, I don't always, and this is where I'm kind of in a, in a similar uh, stage as you are, Lauren, like it's not always the same thing every single morning for, for food and breakfast. I kind of really like, I really auto-regulate and I listen to my body exercise demands, what I ate before, if I can flux it. Uh, often breakfast is a really good plant-based smoothie that will have a bunch of walnuts, wild blueberries, a plant-based protein powder, some other kind of like superfood stuff like spirulina, hemp seeds, chia seeds, cool like that. Sometimes it'll be like an egg avocado thing. Sometimes I might even have a mono fruit meal. Like if I just like bought a melon or something like that, I sometimes might do that. I got on a coconut kick last couple of weeks and I was eating like a bunch of young tie rod coconuts, which is kind of interesting, but I'll do like a, a blood sugar stabilizing meal. And sometimes I push the fast back. I'm now kind of on like a two meals per day kind of seems to feel good for me. Like I'll have a breakfast morning ish meal and then I'll have a dinner before the sun goes down. So now I'm trying to mostly train my dinner to a little bit earlier in the day. So I'm trying to eat a little earlier. So I have a couple hours of fasting later. And so maybe the first meal comes, let's just say at anywhere from eight to 10 AM. And the second meal comes, let's just say at like five. And I'm finding that that's working okay for me without needing any snacks in between. Um, for the dinner time, I sometimes have plant-based food, but I've been getting a lot more into some high quality fish lately. So it'll be some wild salmon, sardines, stuff like that. Um, avocados, just like really whole natural clean foods that I know my body feels great on. Um, and then I occasionally have dinner with friends. And then when I'm feeding my daughter, man, all bets are off. She's eating all sorts of crazy stuff. So I'm like, why am I eating like a rice, a banana, a piece of chocolate and like, you know, whatever, but you know, we're, we're doing crazy stuff. Fun. How old, how old is your daughter? She's like 18 months. So very young. Oh, oh my God. So we're exploring. We're exploring Congrats, foods. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun age. I'm sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, here's avocado. What do we think? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank oh. you for sharing that. It's really inspiring to hear all the different experiments and playing yeah. and listening to your body. It's important. Yeah, for sure. I love, I love your morning routine too. I'm curious, what kind of cold plunge do you have? Well, okay. So Funny story is my, my, one of my friends, um, John is an engineer. 
he wanted to start a cold plunge company. So he went to China, built the specs, got a custom cold plunge, made it. And the company kind of like, it never really took off. Turns out cold plunge is a really tough business because like the units are expensive and like they're also expensive to sell. So I have like the the number one custom cold plunge that never got off the ground, but I have his cold plunge at my house. So I have a really cool ah. one. It's got like a chiller and a tub. So I'm pretty fortunate, but it's not like a, yeah. a brand that you would know or sell, but it's kind of similar to one of those plunge style you know, ones with the the chillers and all that. Yeah. Is it like a porcelain nice. style or do you have like it's the, the it's it's actually it's like a really big blow up uh one. So it's like super heavy duty blow up. Um so it's super portable, but it's a massive tub. You can put like probably two or two two, three people in there and it oh, gets down to thirty gets, gets oh, down yeah. to thirty nine. Yeah, it's 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 cold. Uh, <laughs> amazing. That's awesome. I love yeah. that. Well, Dr. Anthony, thank you for sharing all of your amazing knowledge with us today. We want to ask one final question. If you can leave our audience with one final piece of advice, something they can start doing today, what would that be? Well, first off, very fun. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. And I, I really enjoyed this this time together. I would say this. I think that there's many tips and habits around nutrition exercise that we kind of, that we spoke about for living a long life. And I think if someone listened to this, they can certainly pick out the one or two things that resonate most with them that they need to work on. But the by and large thing is, is I believe that the people who live the longest, we mentioned those centenarians, like they keep their nervous system in a more relaxed parasympathetic state. And they do this because they're connected to nature, because they're connected to family, because they found relaxing rhythms. They don't take life too seriously. They have spiritual practices we have these modes of the nervous system that people know about the sympathetic, parasympathetic. If you want to live a long life, you need to find ways to keep your system in a predominantly parasympathetic mode. This is why the yogis who sit there and meditate and know how to calm their systems down, they live for a hundred plus years. So outside of the foods that we eat and the practices that we do, it's really about keeping a, a healthy nervous system. That's a relaxed nervous system, a parasympathetic driven nervous system. So if you understand that fundamental premise and you ask yourself, where are the areas where I'm being taken into like a stress high drive area? That's not like the, I am stressing my body in cold plunge, or I am stressing my body through exercise. That's like the adaptive use stress. Any way we can keep the system in a relaxed state, we're going to live a long time. A tortoise has a slow parasympathetic nervous system. That sucker lives to 120 years. Yeah. A mouse is always worried about being eaten. The mouse lives for a year. Like the amount of like heartbeats that we do have, the amount of sympathetic drive is completely proportional to your lifespan. So like just understand that and, and work in ways to, to calm your system down. And I guess this means both the practices that we've talked about, but also your everyday, every moment relationship to your life. We can have situations and things that happen, but it's really ultimately how we relate to those things that creates the 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 different drive and pattern of the nervous system. Oh, that incredible. so well I said. Be a tortoise. Let's yeah. yeah, let's be a I tortoise. Never really thought about that. Team yeah. tortoise. <laughs> tortoise yeah. for the win. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, That's thank it. you for all of that. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Where can our audience find more of you? So the the two companies in the the communities that I run is Fit Father Project, Fit Mother Project. So fitfatherproject.com, exactly as it sounds, fitfatherproject or fitmotherproject.com. And so those are great places if you want to check out our programs, our websites and the case studies and all that. And then our YouTube channel is also like a really fun spot. So we have a Fit Father Project YouTube channel or Fit Mother Project. You can just type that in. We have like 500 plus videos across the two channels, a lot of really good stuff. So YouTube, you can find us as well. Great. Awesome. Yeah, your, you. your YouTube videos are awesome. You're like, you educate so well, you keep it light and entertaining. Thanks. It's 
just, we love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you both. Thank you for making health fun, enjoyable, educational, empowering, all of the things. This is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.